Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, and as always, uh, glad to be joined by a co-host, Justin Lewis. Justin, how are you tonight, sir? I'm tired. It's late, but it's been a busy day. <laughs> I can I can understand that. It has been a busy day, but we are joining you here on a July 4th Eve. Happy Independence Day to everybody out there and their families and things like that. Uh, before you get to the festivities, maybe in your preparation, we wanted to give you some content to enjoy as uh, it's the season of free agency uh, here um, in the NBA. And of course, the Grizzlies uh, have been one of the more active teams out there. And just with every move, they continue to show um, a, a new trend and just a, a new level of competence uh, that we have not seen um, in quite a while. So we're going to get to all the moves and what potentially could come next. We're going to break this up into two podcasts. We're going to start off with the signings themselves. Um, in the first uh, um, um, episode, probably talk about some signings around the NBA as well. And then the second one, obviously the Grizzlies have made several trades as well as they're trying to uh, – iron out their roster. So we're going to give you two for the price of one here in our free agency reaction um, um, setup. So Justin, obviously, um, you know, this weekend was an absolute whirlwind of activity, but it started off with what was expected. It started off with the Jonas Valanciunas trade, three years, 45 million, descending amount, 16, 15, and 14 over the next three years. You have been an advocate for us Getting Valanciunas extended, it's now done. What are your thoughts? Um, I had a question about it today. Was it was it a fact that he realized that his market wasn't going to be what it was that he jumped on uh, being back with us? Despite, because I mean, he made it clear that he wanted Mike Conley to still be a part of this team if he was going to remain on it. Um, so did he see the market and realize that there wasn't a market for him? Or um, did he really believe in what we were about to do um, and, and jump on? I don't know. I'm excited to have him. Um, it takes some pressure off Jaron. Uh, I think it will take some. Uh, it will help with some foul trouble uh, with Jaron early on, and um, we can we can really let him be a primary focus um, of the offense at different parts of the game to take the pressure off John um, and Jaron. So three years is perfect. Um, you don't want that fourth year when where we're running into a new Jaron contract. Um, he's he plays hard. I believe he can be a 2010 guy, um, and I think it's a steal um, at that price. I mean, it's a it's been a weird market for centers. I mean, you sit here and you see Nikola Vucevic getting a four year, 100 million dollar deal from the Magic. Of course, he's been you know their franchise icon going on more than five years now. You get Dwayne Dedman going to uh, Sacramento for three years and forty million. I would stack Valanciunas against Vucevic. Vucevic is probably a better player. I certainly would say that Valanciunas is better than Dedman. But then you see Willie Cauley-Stein, who arguably many thought was the most attractive of those four players, besides Vucevic, but was a very attractive center option. He goes reportedly reportedly for just a few million to the Warriors. Now, the Warriors are a different animal, but it, in general, it was, it was definitely a, a, a weird center market. But I think what we set, the precedent that we set, Justin, was that when it came to Valanciunas, I stated myself, if it came to $15 million per or four years, I would rather go the 15 per than go that fourth year. How important or how beneficial do you think it is for the Grizzlies to not have had to have gone that fourth year? 
I don't know if it would have been that detrimental. I think we would have been able to move him off that fourth year um, if we needed to. Um, I, and I honestly probably would have been okay with it too. I'm not. I'm not as um, down on as, on Jonas as some people are. Um, so it would have been indifferent for me. But I think three was the perfect number. And I agree as well. I think that three. It just. I think that Jonas. Listen, I, I've been a a person. I've been a critic of Jonas. I've stated that I'm not the biggest believer that he's going to have value going forward. And if the Grizzlies overachieve, I actually think that his impact lessens. But overall, I will say that you know when you think about it, there is a lot of you know good opportunity there. If Ja and Jaron both wanted Jonas back, we'll bring him back. And, you know, Taylor Jenkins probably can sit there and help him develop his game. I do think Jonas can develop a three-point game to evolve his game, to make him be able to stay on the court and stay impactful on both ends more. So, overall, it was just a great signing. But what do you think that this means as far as our front office goes? Obviously, you know, they're not going to sit here and listen to you know the fans and things like that. But it seems like that they didn't take into consideration that they of the players. They wanted Jonas because of the impact he made in one month, and it earned him forty-five million dollars. What do you think that this shows about the front office? Do you think that they put a preference on the desire of the locker room and what the locker room feels? Um, if a locker room feels the, a, a player makes a really good impact, that's going to sway the front office to make a move on. I don't think the front office is taking in too much consideration of what the the locker room wants. They did that um, with with JB Bickerstaff and with David Fisdale, um, and from everything that I'm told, the, the locker room, the team actually loved Chandler Parsons. Now, obviously, there's a distraction outside of the locker room with the media and, and the perception of how much he doesn't care and that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't think they made the decision because Jaron and Josh said, "Hey, we want Jonas." I think they were they were honestly looking at well, what is cost effective and what's best for this team going forward. And I do agree that he fits both of those. And the other thing that I'll say is this: is that I think one big thing that they looked at with Jonas is that he is a source of offense. And you know, as we you know we'll get to more moves that have been made here over recent days. You know, while there is plenty of offensive potential there's not a lot of proven offensive production right now on the roster Jonas is the contrary to that he is the one true proven offensive producer do you feel like he when he's matched up with Jaron how do you see Jonas's offensive numbers developing do you you said that you feel he could be 2010 a night do you feel that he will continue to uh, be a down low banger or could you see Jonas potentially moving outside every now and then for a spot-up jump shot or three? I mean, he showed at the end of the season that he, he will move outside um, every now and then and, and take one. His, his mid-range game has always been there. I don't I don't know if he will be a 2010 guy. I think he should be a 10-rebound guy, hands down. He's going to have to um, to make up for Jaron's deficiency there. But, you know, what did we do early last year in games? We went to Jaron. Um, and when Jaron was out, I think we kind of went to Jonas early, so which one are we going to go to? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how their games uh, mesh together. Uh, obviously, the pick and roll with John and Jaron is probably going to be one of the primary parts of the offense, um, but I think, you know, who knows? Maybe he turns into Brooke Lopez and starts letting them fly. 
uh, like like they had him up there in Milwaukee doing. Um, but I think his versatility on the inside and being able to, to at least pop out to the mid-range uh, gives his offense a ton of options. If you need a bucket in the half court, if you need, I think Jonas might be one of our most reliable bucket getters near the basket. And that's what I was saying when I was talking about him being a productive offensive contributor is that it's just options. If Jaron and Ja are going to run that pick and roll game, Jaron can be effective. I mean, arguably you can say with some of the moves that have been made, Jaron is one of our best three-point shooters. You can have Jaron picking and popping. You can have jo- uh, Jonas on the block uh, being you know off to the side or in space for an alley-oop when Ja goes into the lane. I think, the, like I say, it just creates options. And I think that's why the Grizzlies front office was really focused on bringing Jonas back. So we got Jonas in the fold. Now we start to see the shift go towards another piece that we got in the Toronto trade, and that's in the long right. Now we've seen several free agent point guards who have, you know, gone surprising directions. Ricky Rubio to Phoenix for three years, fifty-one million. Um, Terry Rozier three years and fifty-eight million uh, to uh, uh, to Charlotte. Darren Collison, you know, surprisingly retiring. Um, you know, and some other smaller contracts. And then, of course, you had the big ones in Kimba and Kyrie. But now, Delone Wright is the focus. And, and the thing about it is, is that the market has quickly dried up. Where do you see the market right now being? Ju- where do you see the market right now being for DeLon, Justin? And what teams do you feel could potentially make him a lucrative offer that the Grizzlies would have to match? Um, you know, when you when you went through the names, you know what's crazy is that Darren Collison's retirement shaped the point guard market because Agreed. it was a lock. It was a lock that Rubio was going to uh, Indiana. And... It's just out of nowhere, uh, things just changed quickly, and Rubio was left hanging. Uh, and he ends up in Phoenix because I think he's going to make Phoenix better. But for for Wright, um, I don't know how much uh, truth there is behind the interest in Dallas uh, for Wright. Um, I think they obviously would have the opportunity to do to, do to us what we did to San Antonio by offering a um, contract to um, – Right, that we don't want to match or won't feel comfortable matching, um, especially with the acquisition of, of uh, DeAnthony Milton. I don't know what that does with the way that we see um, right. But I think the Mavs would be a threat there, and I think it's a possibility that you could see the Lakers be a threat um, to throw in some type of offer to get a point guard that doesn't have to have the ball as comfortable distributing and, and, and playing off. Um, so uh, with Melton, it, it makes me think that maybe we'll take right back if it's the the qualifying offer. But if somebody throws something out there that's you know three years of uh, nine to ten, I don't see us uh, matching and we, and we let them walk. I actually would be okay if we went three years and ten million. If if you wanted to go the four years and thirty seven million for Kyle Anderson. I wouldn't necessarily be against that either because in in a league that's going to such a guard-oriented approach, it is such a benefit to be able to have – you know, I've talked before about effective 48 minutes. You know, at the primary positions, you know, post player, three-point shooter, point guard, having as many of those 48 minutes in which you have a capable ball handler. And if if the Grizzlies compared to Lone Wright with John Morant, I think that it takes some pressure off Jaw. 
I think that it gives them two players who can really develop their game. I think that DeLone can help Jaws' game. And it's just – point guards are so important nowadays. I get that you then have a backcourt where you don't really have an efficient shooter, but both Jaw and DeLon can get to the rim, and so I think that's important. So you say that you wouldn't go $10 million necessarily for DeLon, but my question is this. When it comes to the Grizzlies' pursuit of shooting, do you feel like there's really an option out there? If they don't get DeLon, is the obvious use of the money to find a shooter? I, I'm. I've been looking through um, who's left. There's not really any shooters left out there. Agreed. Um, so I think it's going to have to be something like where we um, we trade Bradley's contract, uh, like we did Corvers to get a package back like that, or maybe we get a veteran shooter and an asset back in return for for Bradley's expiring or his non guaranteed uh, for a team that needs uh, some cap space. So I think you're not finding the shooter that you want or need on the market, and so therefore that would make you lean towards matching for right. Um, it just depends on what plays out with these um, trades that we did today uh, that we'll talk about later. And that's the thing about it is that, you know, this doesn't count against the cap, and, and I just I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think that the Grizzlies, with so much cap space freeing up next year with – Jaw and DeLone in place, and then with Jonas and um, Jaron in place, plus Brandon Clark off the bench, I think that you, again, you've got your post and your perimeter taken care of in terms of the distributors and in terms of the rebounding and the scoring down low. And, and, and not that, you know, you can easily find shooting, but it's nice to have two key areas taken care of with not only production but potential moving forward. So, Justin, obviously, those were the two big keys. Going into the offseason, it was Jonas and it was DeLone. We've got one locked up. It seems like there's still definitely a good chance that we lock up right. But we've started to hear rumors of other potential signings, and we we go all the way to Europe for one of those rumors. Now, we haven't received validation of this, but it seems from decent sources, as a matter of fact, Dave Defer. DeFore, who actually has contributed to Grizzly Bear Blues in the past, he has said it's a done deal, that the Grizzlies have agreed to a two-year deal, we don't know the extent of what it is yet, with Marco Goderich, uh, a, a, a combo guard, or a perimeter combo guard wing out of Europe. Justin, you have done some research on this player. We won't spend too much time on him because we don't, again, know for sure that he has been signed, but your thoughts on at least that effort, if it does come to fruition, what have you found out about Gadurich and, and how do you see him fitting on the Grizzlies? So we just talked about not having anybody left in the market for a shooter. This is the guy. He's, um, I think he was shooting like 48% or something like that from three. Um, I've watched a lot of film on him and his stroke is absolutely pure. Um, it's quick release, it's easy. Um, he he has a punt fake that rivals Chandler Parsons. Um, every time I saw a punt fake, he was getting the defender off the ground. And he, he has a one-dribble step back after the punt fake, and he just knocks it down with ease. Um, the problem is is that he's not explosive off the dribble. Um, so getting around NBA defenders is not going to be something that he's going to be able to do very often. And he's not going to elevate off the ground and, and just dunk on people. 
Um, so he is crafty around the rim, but he is somebody that is on a fast break and run to the corner or run to the three-point line. And, and almost as often as he misses, he's going to make. Um, so if, if this is true, this is um, going to be confirmed at some point. And it, and it may be just a, um, a training camp offer that he's receiving. Um, even if that's so, his shooting um, may be the, the best on the team. And my player comparison for him would be a slightly more athletic Joe Ingles. Well, that should get that should get uh, folks definitely excited. At the very least, um, you know, hey, that we get another uncle in the league, you know, with the jokes about Joe Ingles and now Bogdan Bogdanovich um, in uh, in Utah. I, I did a little bit of uh, film watching as well. Definitely, you know, the, the European game seems to be seems to move at a slower pace a lot of times than. Uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, NBA game. But the thing that I'll say is, is that I definitely can see it seems like that he's not just a spot up shooter or a catch and, and shoot guy. It seems like that he's got a little bit of uh, handles to him to where he can create his own shot. And so I do agree with you, even if it's just a camp invite, this is exactly what the Grizzlies need to do. We saw them look at Europe for their head coaching search. Now there's the potential to where they've moved, they may be. Um, securing rights to a guy from Europe to bring over to the U.S. This front office is shown it's getting creative. We'll go into that detail in the second part of the podcast. But just the creativity, looking at places that they have not looked before, those type of things sometimes bring about good values that really can help you develop your organization. So those are the potential signings that we've heard from the Grizzlies. We'll get to the trades in the second part of this podcast reaction. But we want to focus now just for a few minutes on the NBA as a whole. Justin, just a monumental Sunday. Um, a, a lot of team, a lot of big players changing hands. Thoughts on what you saw? What do you feel um, was the biggest move, and, and may what may have been the most surprising? Well, I think for everybody, the most surprising was D'Angelo Russell to uh, to the Golden State Warriors. I, I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Also surprised that. Willie Colley Son is going there and going there for as cheap as I mean, seriously, the Suns are going to pay Frank Kaminsky more money than the Warriors are going to pay uh, Willie Colley Son. So the Warriors have done probably the most surprising um, deals as everything else is kind of um, already talked about and leaked out um, as far as where they're going. And maybe Al Horford signing with the Sixers because that one doesn't really make any sense um, at all. But those were the, the three that caught my eye. And the thing that I'll say is this, is that when it comes to um, the moves that, that, that really happened, I mean, obviously um, uh, Durant and Kyrie to the Nets, you know, while, that, while it was surprise, it was expected. But you bring up the D'Angelo Russell um, a move by the Warriors, and people are already talking about how does he fit, how does it make sense. I, I think that others have hit the nail on the head when they've stated and that's kind of what I thought when I saw it. It's not necessarily that the Warriors are are making this commitment to D'Angelo Russell long term. I think what they did was they simply took advantage of a situation to when KD left to go to Brooklyn, they took an obvious step towards getting as much value out of they can, out of that as they can, extracting as much value as they can. 
Maybe Russell plays with Steph this year in the absence of Clay, but next offseason you can see D'Angelo Russell moved for other parts. That's the thing about the NBA is that sometimes moves don't make sense. They Teams acquire players in a situation where – where does this come from? How does this player fit? It's not because the plan is to keep that player on the team long term. It's because of the fact of the value that's there in that player that could bring you something that you could see long-term. And you see more of those moves um, in free agency recently. But a lot of people have also said that this was supposed to mimic the summer of 2016, where you saw a lot of teams just spending like crazy. However, it seems like some teams just have been left out in the cold, including the New York Knicks. Justin, I don't know what to say. I mean, the Knicks organization needs to take this as a sign they no longer are elite. They no longer are an elite franchise in the NBA. What are your thoughts on, on, on their actions during free agency and just the sheer stupidity in some of the um, reports that we've seen out of New York? I wouldn't go as far to say that it's all stupidity. I think when they realized that they they were striking out, there's, there's still some foresight to their signings. I mean, look at the length of the contract. They have set themselves up to have a bunch of expirings heading into the summer that Giannis Antetokounmpo is a free agent. Free agent. Now, obviously, Antetokounmpo is not going to go to New York because James Dolan is still the, uh, the owner of the team, um, and they're just a train wreck of a franchise. But although they struck out and they've signed some guys that don't make a lot of sense, like signing Portis and Taj Gibson uh, and Julius Randle, who all play the same position, they at least had the the wherewithal to know, hey, let's not sign them besides Randall beyond two years so that they're off the cap. And the biggest impact that those signings actually have is that, that keeps three players that maybe the the Lakers needed to target off the board. Um, a Portis or a Bullock or a Gibson would have been great guys to be on the Lakers um, to help fill out this roster and Kawhi leaving them waiting has affected them because those guys went and got their payday. And it's the same kind of deal in 2016 with the Knicks. These guys just went and cashed in, and I don't blame them at all. Um, so the Knicks were misled that they had a shot at some of these guys. But there was some foresight to their guys. Maybe for next year it's going to be David Fisdale's mess to clean up. Uh, but I think they're going to have, have a chance again in 2021. And the other thing that I'll say about that is this, is that I guess maybe stupidity may be a strong word. My more focus was was that, yeah, they basically were just filling out cap space. They did get some good players who are going to be tradable assets. If I were the Knicks, I probably would have focused, like the Grizzlies have done, in trying to get, you know, trying to take on bad contracts for future draft picks potentially. You know, that that is something that, that they maybe could have done. So stupidity may have been a strong word. But I do agree, yes, they have had some – underrated signings so we, we we you know nick charlotte you know obviously those are some teams that you know probably ha- have really taken the brunt of, of negativity when it comes to free agency but i think that when it comes to positivity you have to look at the pacers and the utah jazz now the pacers paid a hefty price to be able to bring in malcolm brogdon but i really do think that those are two teams who have taken advantage of the situation that they had, and they were creative enough 
to bring in several players. You know, Utah bringing in, you know, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, Bogdan Bojanovic, and also Ed Davis. And, of course, the Pacers bringing in Malcolm Brogdon and Jeremy Lamb. Do you feel the Pacers and the Jazz, besides the Nets, obviously, do you think they are probably the two biggest winners so far in free agency? Uh, him and maybe um, the Trailblazers, but just the moves that the Jazz keep on making, I never saw any of those coming. Moutier was an absolute steal for them. It would be great for him to play under Mike Conley and learn from him. It would be great for Conley to have him as his backup. Um, and just, I mean, Ed, just the depth that they added to that team, it's unreal. And the Patriots are deep, too. I don't know how they got Jeremy Lamb at, Lamb at his price. They obviously stole T.J. Warren from the Suns. Um, those two teams have made themselves um, contenders in a matter of three days. And that's the thing about it. It's crazy just how quickly you can change the outlook for your franchise when you make creative moves. And obviously, that's a perfect segue into the second part of this podcast. We've obviously talked about the expected moves for the Grizzlies and looked a little bit about the NBA. In the second part of the podcast, we're going to break down the unexpected moves, the surprise moves that the Grizzlies have made through trades that have just continued to add to the um, outlook for the Grizzlies, and now what has become a very nice arsenal of assets um, uh, for the future. So for part one, it was a pleasure um, uh, it was a pleasure having you join us. For Sean Coleman and Justin Lewis, thank you so much for joining us for part one of the 3 d Podcast Reaction to NBA Free Agency.